In this episode of the Admin Admin Podcast, we've got some quite bad background noise behind our guest's audio. Producer Dave has done his best to clean it up, but there's quite a lot of artifacts he couldn't remove. It's well worth the effort to push through it, as the interview goes into quite a lot of content that we don't usually have an insight into. So, with that in mind, let's start the show. Welcome to the Admin Admin Podcast, episode 79, a podcast for IT professionals. Hi, I'm Al. And I'm John. No Jerry this episode, but in this show we talk to Reggie about becoming a site reliability engineer. Uh, we also talk about his podcast and about some of the things that can help you stay in tech without burning out. And so let's go on with the show. It is my absolute honour to welcome Reggie from, uh, which podcast is he? Oh, uh, Coolest Nerds in the Room. The coolest nerds in the room. God, I had a complete blank there. I'm, I'm dreadfully sorry, Reggie. It's all good. It is all good. So Reggie is uh, has been podcasting with there for, for quite some time, and I've been listening to his podcast for a while. And um, recently, Reggie changed roles from... Uh, what was the role you were doing before, Reggie? So the role I did before was... Um, it was basically web operations. That's what we called it. We called it web operations. But now I'm in an official uh, SRE role. And so what is an SRE? Site Reliability Engineer. So Site Reliability Engineer is essentially, uh, how would I like to put it? We are typically the people that do, uh, we handle a lot of the infrastructure automation. We really, really, we kind of deal with more of the uh, monitoring and the stability of the platform. So whenever you think about uh, setting up metrics, whether it's like SLIs, SLOs, SLAs, um, dealing with the actual alarms, uh, setting up automation to actually um, rectify some of these situations as they pop up when they're, well, within an application, within some type of infrastructure. We're usually the people that deal with that. Um, SRE is a, basically a, a newer term that Google basically came up with because they saw the need for a role to differentiate it from DevOps because, you know, you have your DevOps, you have your developers, developers are developing an application. The DevOps people are actually working on the releases in the pipeline, and then the SREs are the people that are actually monitoring the application. So we, they, they've kind of basically put a, a stake in the ground and say, okay, we need a role to actually have someone fully focused on monitoring the application and making sure they report their information back to the teams, the development teams, so that we are making sure that our platform is as reliable as we possibly can make it. Right, okay. So it's not so much necessarily about making sure that the service is running because typically that would be around things like you know is something up is it still responsive but it's more about kind of are all the pieces still working in the way you're expecting them to work would that be fair exactly yes because i mean you're going to do i mean it's i mean it's natural for you to do the uptime checks and you know make sure the cpu and memory all that stuff that's part of course but it's actually especially as you as we as more companies are moving into microservice environments I mean, you have these big distributed architectures and things like that. Like, you want to make sure the services are communicating to each other properly, being able to actually monitor the services, latency, requests, things of that nature, see how data is actually moving across the uh, entire application. Those are kind of, that's where the SRE kind of comes into play. It's monitoring all of the teams and making sure they're uh, operating as expected. Oh, right. Okay. So it's, it's, okay. So that's quite interesting. So it's more about the, the monitoring side of things. I guess, 
I would say I would say uh, I would say put it's more about the reliability of the application. That's kind of the where the the R and the SRE comes into place, right? Like the reliability of the application and using and basically setting up, you know, observability and monitoring to make sure that you actually have the proper view of your application so that you can understand that it's working the way you expect it to and then also taking that data and being able to pump it back into your application to make it a more reliable platform. Oh, so there's the loop back. Oh, fantastic. So that makes life. So so it means you're you kind of tracking more over time mm-hmm. what changes are happening in your environment. So you can see when something, you know, if you if you the scaling up, scaling down and, you know, the new applications, if it's more performant, less performant and stuff like that. Oh, that's awesome. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So if you were previously doing a sort of operation an operations role. Mm-hmm. How do you move from an operations role into uh, an SRE style role? Is it just by sort of finding a new job, or is there was there any was it an internal move, or or how did that happen? It was definitely uh, f- uh, finding a new job. Uh, so just to give more context as to what my last situation was like. I was I was in an operations role, and so we were doing kind of everything. It it was kind of a um, my last job. It was different because we were very hands on with a lot of stuff. And we did all the mm-hmm. monitoring, we did all, we did a lot of automation. We did a lot of the things that SREs typically do. Um, but the thing was, we weren't in like a microservice environment. We were still using VMs and now we were transitioning into using Kubernetes and things like that. But uh, we hadn't quite fully made that transition yet because of all the architecture and all of the work that is required whenever you try to move into a microservice architecture. Um, but I had already started doing like a lot of Kubernetes and things like that on the side. So even when we were in the transition, I was kind of leading the team like, okay, like this is kind of how we need to think about, you know, containers and our application and the context of it. And that's what really kind of got, got the ball rolling. Um, I really like when I really got into Kubernetes, it really kind of changed my perspective on potential of how you uh, run your application. Because now I'm not limited by just a VM, you know what I'm saying? Now I have these instances of my application, and I can scale them out, down, do all these crazy different things with it. And with that comes a whole new set of skills and observability that comes with it. And as I was getting into that, that's where I kind of really got introduced to SREs. Um, And that's really how the transition happened. So I was really trying to convince management, like, hey, you know, we're moving into Kubernetes, we're moving into microservice environment, we're moving to more cloud native architecture. Hey, I think we need to like change our titles and really reevaluate our roles to fit more of a SRE role. Um, but you know, you know, some companies are pretty gung ho on how they do things because you know it's worked for them so long. So why would we change something that's broke? And um, that's when I went on my journey. I'm like, you know what? I want to look for traditional site reliability engineering role, and uh, and I found it at my next company. And it's been an experience ever since I've touched down. Uh, it's been a big, a huge learning curve, a huge learning curve, more than I could ever anticipate it. So winding back a little bit, um, the new job you're involved in is a lot more about um, containerized uh, and orchestrated containerization environment. Yes. And previously you were more working with virtual machines. You said that a lot of what the role is that you're involved in now has to do a lot with monitoring and kind of not just monitoring the application, but kind of how things change from 
like between one moment and the next between one i wouldn't say incident but between one 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 state and the next state would that be fair that's the perfect way of putting it absolutely so so what sort of tools do you tend to use on a sort of daily weekly monthly basis not that i'm asking you to sort of betray your company secrets or anything like that but you know are there like a standard set of tools that you would tend to use for that sort of thing yeah so uh one big tool that we're using um is stack driver uh so we're using stack driver heavily as far as dealing with all the monitoring and things like that um since we are doing kubernetes and uh, we're taking advantage of google uh, one of our big things is we want to try to utilize as many of as much of the tooling that comes with the cloud as possible. And because of that, we've been using Stackdriver, and they already have like the SLIs, the SLOs. We come up with the SLAs. They have error budgets, so they have a lot of stuff in place um, as far as like uh, metrics and, and tooling available. And that's typically what we what we do. Granted, there are some things that I would love to see them add or update to make the experience a lot more palatable. Um, But as of right now, that's what we're using. Now, is that what we're going to use moving forward? I don't know. But for right now, that's what we're using. And it's working out okay for us. So you just used a couple of... um uh, Well, a few abbreviations there that I I don't recognize. What what is an SLI and an SLO? Okay, cool. So an SLI is a service level indicator, right? So let's say you have this uh, distributed application and let's say this application is broken up into 10 different services. So let's say you have one service and let's say it's just a login service. So we would basically take that service and we will monitor just that service. So we will come up with these SLIs, these metrics for that particular service. So SLI might be um, what the CPU of that particular service is at that time or what the memory level is or um, status codes that it's returning, or, you know, how many requests is it receiving. Those might be specific SLIs. And now with a SLO, a service level objective, service level objective is basically saying, hey, this is what our goal is. So if we have 100 requests come in, we want to make sure that 99 of those requests return 200 status codes. And so maybe we'll, you know, so maybe the service level objective is 99%. So 99% of the requests that they come in, we need to make sure they're returning 200 status codes. And we, and basically your error budget is, is to say, uh, okay, if we lose more than 1% of these requests to 500 errors, so let's say we got 100 requests come in and five of those requests end up returning 500, then that's going to take a hit on our error budget. And so once it takes a hit on our error budget, that usually triggers us and lets us know, hey, the service isn't performing um, in the way that we expect it to, we need to take a look and see what happened. Did we do a new deployment? Did we introduce new changes? Like what exactly is happening to where we cannot meet our service level objectives? Right. Okay. That's quite a cool way of looking at things. So, so you'll have, say for example, um, uh, an individual um, node in your, in your environment, might have its own set of SLIs or would you have an SLI for um, everything in a family of that operation or, or is it, does it just change from, from moment, from, from instance to instance? Yeah. So the SLI can change from service to service because each, because you got to think like, I'm not going to monitor a login service the same way I might log, uh, monitor a search service. So whenever I come up with these SLIs, they're going to be within the context or within the scope of whatever that, that job of that service is. 
Um, so you might have different SLIs, you know, maybe for a login uh, service, I'm looking at failed login attempts, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe for a search service, I'm looking at latency as far as like how long does it take to, to return, you know, results from a query that a, a user just did. The SLIs are going to be different depending on what the job of the service is. Oh, okay. That's made me think again about some of the ways that I do stuff at work now. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Uh, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so you mentioned you use Kubernetes. You've mentioned Stackdriver. And is that is Stackdriver something that's inside Google Cloud? Is that Or is that something else that you're – is that a separate product? Stackdriver is the uh, monitoring tool that um, that they use in uh, the Google Cloud. That's like the de facto – monitoring tool that you use for all your application stuff in GCP. Right. Okay, cool. Um, so I must admit, GK is, is one of the, one of the products that I've not looked at yet myself. So, uh, looks like I've got, I've got some stuff to go away and learn there as well. Yeah. Cause in the UK, it doesn't seem to be much people using Google cloud. Does it? It's either Amazon or AWS, isn't it? That sounds about right. Looking at the cloud platforms, have you used much of Amazon and AWS mm-hmm. to compare it to google cloud or yeah absolutely how do you compare the different platforms um so i came you know when i first got into the cloud aws was the first platform i learned i got the aws solutions architect uh, certification and everything so i was i started off like head in aws so i got a lot of experience with that and then um from there i actually spent some time with azure because in my last company we were doing a migration from aws to azure I got pretty comfortable with Azure, and then and now my current company, now we're in Google Cloud. So I spent a pretty good amount of time with all three clouds at this point. Um, and, every, and the thing about the cloud is is that, you know, obviously the resources and a lot of the tooling is, is going to essentially do the same thing for you. It's just the, the user experience and the implementation of how you do things. Um, and that's kind of what has made the cloud space very interesting because everybody just offers their own experience with, you know, for example, Kubernetes or even serverless functions. Um, and I feel like that's kind of, that, that's that been a big differentiating factor for me because, I mean, it just depends on what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? It depends on what resource you like. Some, some products and some services in one cloud are going to be naturally better than another cloud. So it's it's been an interesting space. I've listened to a couple of episodes of your podcast, last three or four, because John recommended it. I'm really enjoying it. Um, do you just tell a bit more about it, where it, where your ideas come from, and what what your podcast is all about? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, my podcast, coolest nerds in the room. Me and my good friend Stephanie, uh, we are the uh, co-host of the show. And basically, how it came about was uh, I actually met Stephanie at a local meetup. And um, we actually became friends, well, obviously just seeing her at the meetup, but we really got close after um, the last season of Game of Thrones was coming out. And I had a group chat, and I was like, come to the group chat. We talk about Game of Thrones all day. And she was like, cool. Out of that, you know, we just continued to build the relationship. And once we built that relationship, we started the podcast. And the podcast really came from our how we built our relationship with each other as far as being two people in the tech space and having genuine interest and in not just technology, but in, you know, work-life balance, um, Game of Thrones, things like that. And that's what we deemed it coolest nerds in the room because even though we are nerds and we do work in the tech space, there is more to us than just technology and what we do. 
Um, and we wanted to create a space and then foster an environment where other people that are nerds or work in the tech space, things like that, could come in and, you know, t express themselves about things that aren't just technology. Obviously, we do talk about technology. We talk about our careers and our work-life balance. But also, you know, we are people at the end of the day. And I think think um, a lot of times our lives actually influence the way we do our work. And to be able to foster a space that allows for that kind of conversation is something that we both want to do. And uh, and it's been cool. It's been cool so far. And we're still learning. We're still growing. We're still figuring it out. Um, but it's been a good time so far. It's been a good ride. One of the things that I've found quite um, quite helpful, actually, in, in the podcast um, is that a lot of what you guys are talking about is, as you said, it's not about technology, although technology is a part of it. A lot of it is about kind of how how to be a tech person and not completely burn out on things, not completely just kind of lose your way on things. Exactly. And, and I think because a, a lot of podcasts that I've listened to, you know, you'll hear you'll hear kind of people talking about, you know, how much stuff they were doing, how how long how long they were working, or you know that you'll hear them kind of it, it all being about work, mm -hmm. or it all being about. And to be fair, you know, a lot of that is about the fact you know you're listening to an ad, a tech podcast, um, you want to hear some stuff about the tech, but but quite often, you know the the hidden side of of working in you know any high pressure uh, high pressure environment is that you know you don't you don't kind of unwind you don't you don't disconnect as much as you could whereas you guys seem to have quite a good handle on on not being twenty four seven wired up wired into the stuff that you're doing you know is there anything specific that kind of got you to that place or or is there you know is it just is it just the way that you are in your life yeah no uh i think what got me to that place was um number one like i didn't start off i don't have a degree in computer science i'm completely self-taught uh three or four years ago, like before i got into tech i was working in the call center and um i was doing a whole what do i want to do with my life and all that kind of stuff and uh, I ran into a friend. I used to do another podcast with some friends, and I went to a podcast. Uh, I went to podcast movement, the podcast convention. And I met some friends there, um, some friends that actually work at Buzzsprout, which is a podcast hosting company. And I guess they just took a liking to me. They were like, "Hey, do you want to learn how to program?" Um, and so then I went on that journey of like learning about technology and all of that kind of stuff, and programming and all this stuff. And in the in the, in the midst of me learning, you know programming and systems and all of that kind of stuff and networking. One thing that I really noticed in the industry was exactly what you said is just this idea that you have to be wired in, tapped into technology 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, uh, you know, I would try to have conversations with people about things that aren't just technology, because I believe um, just as much as, you know, we influence technology with our skills and what we do on a daily I think technology, you know, life influences us and how we interact with technology. And so I always love to speak to people about, you know, what got you into technology? What are things that you're doing outside of technology that kind of keeps that creative spark going in your career, right? Because at the end of the day, you can, you can only write so many scripts. You can only program so many applications. You can only monitor so many services before you get burned out and you need to find inspiration somewhere else. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the thing. That's kind of what made, um, 
Steve Jobs and, and people like that kind of such kind of beautiful people in the technology space because they realize like there's a fine balance between technology and life and art, right? And you need to be able to find that balance to really maneuver through your career in an efficient and an optimal way to where you're still loving what you do, but you're also making significant tr- uh, contributions to the space. And um, I think sometimes we, as technologists, we get so caught up in the details and the minutia of our daily tasks that, you know, we kind of forget that childlike inspiration or motivation behind why we do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and if you don't have that, then, you know, then you're just, you just, you know, what separates you between a robot? You know what I'm saying? What separates you between automation? Nothing, you know, like <laughs> nothing except I have to pay you and I don't have to pay the robot. Um, and, and I think that just kind of keeping that spark there, keeping that creativity there, always indulging into those other sides influences your passion and how you interact with technology. Um, and I think that's just vitally important. I think it's vitally important. And maybe I came into the industry that way because I was coming from another industry and I played basketball in a former life and I kind of did photography and videography and I kind of indulged in the creative side. Most people that I know that work in technology, they just kind of did programming their whole life or this is all they did. So they never engaged in any other creative, you know, any other creative endeavor. Um, You know, technology is all they know. That's the only way they know how to be creative. But I think there's a beauty in understanding how to express your creativity in more ways than just one, even if it's you learning how to paint. Or if it's you learning how to, you know, have a podcast or if it's you learning how to speak or learning how to do photography or videography, when you can take in those creative elements and bring them into your job, that's how you that's where the genius comes in. Right. That's 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 where all these brilliant ideas come in, because now you're you're merging in all of these different concepts and ideas from other places and bring them into your work. And that's how you come up with creative ideas and creative solutions to problems versus always looking at the same problems through the same lens. I I totally agree with that. I mean, I think this week has kind of been really hard for me. Um, I've had to pass a, a VMware exam for getting um, my, for the company I work for, they needed to get their accreditation. So I had to pass the VMware exam and I was getting stressed out of it because I wanted to pass it and I just feel like I was letting down the company down. And um, do you know what really annoyed me? There was a the guy who was responsible for getting me that to get this job done, to get this qualification, um, he, 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 we had to get, we've got a, because it's such a big company, there was a thing where you had to qualify to get the, the voucher to do it, you had to do for a system. And um, it took like four weeks to get it. And he emailed on Monday going, where is this ticket? Where is this? Where is this? And I go, I got it last week. I got it two weeks ago. And I've signed and I've got a book for this Thursday. No response back from him. I then passed the exam. My boss says, thank you, well done, the other person. And then I had nothing from him to check in. And then, it, and then I don't need to book on for the second exam. So I was going, look, I've got some white space, which means I haven't got any work on at the moment because my, 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 can- my work I was cancelled would have been cancelled. So I go, okay, I'm going to book this. I'm going to book my exam in so I can get done. And, um, and I wanted to say, look, can I go can I put it on my card and claim it back? And he, so I put in my email to him, I passed my exam, can I put it on and claim it on my card? And he replied back with a single line saying, oh, let me check with accounts. I mean, that just, I just, 
I've just spent the last two weeks stressing out that I'm because of the first VMware exam I've done is I have no idea what the and I was just like and there's only a bit of paper in the end of it. I don't know why I get so stressed out about it because as soon as I pass to kick the button instead of pass, it's like no one's ever going to ask me again. Or that, and it's just and it was just like um and uh, and that's just like the same thing again. It's like working with the, working with colleagues. I've just had enough now. Where I if there's people in the office who are bad mouthing people or going rubbing through a couple of acquisitions and like everyone's moaning about the worst what could happen. I was just like just completely shut those people out now and just like yeah whatever just just do what happens if you get if you get married doesn't the next job would come on could be the best job ever kind of thing so you just got to take it take it as it comes kind of thing so i really do enjoy your podcast kind of how you have your little things at the start what you've done this week kind of thing and um the coolest thing you did i really enjoy <laughs> that it's really good so uh, yeah thank you maybe it's something that we need to start doing yeah. on, for our, our podcast yeah. <laughs> yeah what what cool thing have you done this yeah. week <laughs> actually docker I'll, I'll tell you what i've been playing with docker and i love it um yeah it's brilliant <laughs> i've got managed to get plaques i got plex up and running within like yeah yeah it's really good uh, i'll go talk about another podcast but i'm just so loving how you can bust uh using docker compose how you can bring different things up really quickly it changes everything. It just changes the complete. It changes your entire workflow. Yeah, because I'm from my background. I've always come back from an infrastructure background. So I've, I've been in IT for like last twenty odd years. But I didn't go to university. Um, I've just worked myself up from going from help desk up, and that, that's what I wanted to do. And I've always wanted to do something bigger. And um, what happened? And I what happened then is that. Um, I've always been in the virtualization scope because I basically got given a project to look after these VM infrastructure. And I was thinking, this is brilliant. You can have your separate VMs doing your separate things. And then I was thinking, I played with Docker. So I basically taught myself a bit about Docker about a couple of years ago. But I didn't really see that what, that what, the, what, all the, what all the fuss was about. And then I, when I've actually started, someone actually showed me what I can do with it, you can kind of work out, you can work out really well. So... Yeah, Docker is just going to change it, and that's why I think that's why I want to oh, go f- go forward in this whole cloud, the pets versus uh, cattle. The cattle, yeah. yeah, the cattle, yeah. Treating your treating your services like cattle and not pets. Yes. So uh, you can you can always tell when you're talking to somebody that knows a little bit about kind of this this new way of working versus somebody that like like Al said, you know, come come through sort of. Um, without having come anywhere near that stuff because you mentioned cattle versus pets and anyone that's been involved in that conversation just immediately goes oh yeah i know about that and everyone yeah. everyone else in the room looks at you as if to say uh, <laughs> are we in a technology talk yeah. <laughs> yeah the language is definitely changing the language is definitely changing but it's uh it's the the container space is i mean just what's going on with cloud native architecture is completely changing the way um, businesses are moving in the way we monitor things and, and whatnot. And the funny thing about it is I came in, I'm coming in like right at the beginning of all of this cloud stuff really starting to take off. And it's always funny to interact with people who've been dealing with infrastructure for 15, 20 years and have a VM and you got to do the OS and they're talking talk to me, all this stuff. And I'm just like, dude, like I don't have to deal with none of that stuff no more. Like, <laughs> like I don't have to deal with any of that anymore. And um, and their minds just 
blow. It's like, yeah, man, if if something goes wrong with the container, just kill it and bring it back. And they're like, what? Why would you just kill the service? I'm like, because you can just respond it. And it's just a new way of thinking. It's a new way of thinking. I love it, though. I love it. I genuinely do. Taking it back to, to the technology subjects for a second, you mentioned that you're using um, Kubernetes on Google Cloud. Mm-hmm. For somebody that's not really done much in the way of Kubernetes or, or even Docker, is there any kind of like set of things that you'd recommend somebody should try and start start working with, or is it just literally go out and play with it? I would say the first thing to start, I think starting off with Docker is the perfect way to start. Um, just understanding what a container is and what the purpose of it is and why is it beneficial to a business, right? Like, because you got to think, I mean, I always look at technology from the standpoint of, okay, you know, I'm seeing Google, I see Amazon, like how, how is it meeting the end user's need, right? If I think of a website like an Amazon, somebody might go on that website two or three o'clock in the morning and want to buy some, you know, a t-shirt or something that they saw and whether they're on it at 2 o'clock in the morning or 5 p.m. in the afternoon, they expect the same level of service. So when you look at it, when you think of it that way, you're like, okay, it's not this thing of, well, you know, the servers have this peak time around, you know, 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then in the nighttime, you know, things settle down. And, you know, it's like, no, I need my service to be 100% ready to go 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? And then on top of that, how do you continue to introduce new changes into the environment without taking a hit on the service as far as your end users are concerned? Um, and that's kind of where the Kubernetes and the containers come into place. Because now what used to be, well, we have to, you know, we have to download this patch or we got to push out a new patch. We got to do it at two o'clock in the morning in a small window or something like that. Well, I don't have to do that anymore with Kubernetes. Right. Because now I can have an entire workload with one particular image or one particular instance of an application. I can have that out there. I can still push out this new image and then Kubernetes will automate uh, will automate the blue green deployment or the canary rollout. However, you decide to do it in the background. All of that stuff is automated and the, and the end user never even knows like, oh, dang, like they just updated the application. So now companies can move fast and now I don't have to wait till it you know, every two weeks on a Thursday to push out a new application. I don't have to wait, you know, once a month to push out these new updates. Like, I can do it whenever I want. You know what I'm saying? I can roll it back however I want because now I have these immutable deployments. Every time I push out this new image, I'm pushing into some repository, and if I need to roll it back, I can just get that same image and I can just redeploy it into the environment. Um, And granted, everybody's going to do things differently. I'm just kind of speaking in general in, in regards kind of how Kubernetes work and how people roll out things, but it, it changes the way you maneuver and it changes the way you look at your work. It changes the way you architect your application, right? Because it, you have to do all this capacity planning and all this kind of stuff where we expect this many users to come in. Imagine if you can just scale it. Hey, like we got three containers and so we got three instances of this application just got a, a huge influx of traffic come in, CPU is spiking, boom, it automatically starts scaling out those containers. All right, cool, I can scale it out to 10. And then when it slows down, then it'll scale back down. Like that changes everything. That completely changes the way you architect your application. You know what I'm saying? Because now you're not thinking of, you, you're not, you're like, okay, I can just scale it out. 
or I got to I, I got to write the code in a certain way. So can I ask then? So so I understand it. So you got Docker's and containers. You got Docker is the, is the underlying bit, uh, whatever you run this thing, and then containers are the is which is the bit what's called the code in it. Is that correct? So so the way it works is so Kubernetes is the orchestration is the orchestration tool. So like think of Docker as a runtime. Like think of Docker as just like a runtime environment. And basically, all you're doing is you can take these images, operating systems of your application, and you deploy these images into this Docker environment or this runtime environment. And basically, Kubernetes is just what orchestrates everything. Basically, it's basically saying, okay, well, we need this many instances of this application up here. Or, you know, hey, this, this application is running to some issues. Maybe the CPU is spiking or the memory is some issue there. You know, maybe we need to kill this pod and we need to restart it. All it's doing is organizing everything. But the actual runtime, the actual uh, runtime environment is the Docker container itself, which is essentially just like, a, uh, you know, it's like a cherooted, it's basically just a cherooted, <laughs> a cherooted file system, essentially, right? Like, it's just like... All right, cool. Like, I have all the files that I need to run this application. I got my bin, my lib. I got all of this stuff in here. I have my user folder with all my applications. And I just take that that little box, and I can just spread it out across my infrastructure. And I can scale it, bring it out. And you write your application in a way to where typically you, you would need to write your application in a way that's stateless, right? Because typically what I've seen in the past is a lot of people write these stateful applications where you have to maintain state on this VM, you know, whether it's like some session data or something like that. But when you go into a microservice architecture or you go into a Kubernetes environment, now you have to rethink the way you write your application. Now I have to write it in a stateless way. So now instead of the application writing locally, like sessions and session data and things like that, maybe I'll write all of this data to like, you know, a Redis or some Redis database and that maintains my state. And then obviously you keep all your data for your application in an actual SQL server. And it just talks to those things. It never actually maintains state or anything in the application. And, and that actually opens you up to the possibilities of scaling this thing out. But you're not maintaining state. Yeah, with the Kubernetes cluster, is that, is that like hosted on like Azure or, or Google mm-hmm. Cloud? Or, 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 and you can host it internally as well by running that on physical hardware as well? Yep. Yep, yep. So uh, you can have a managed Kubernetes cluster or you can spin it up yourself. You know, say you can spin it up on uh, a local environment. That's kind of the beauty of Kubernetes is that it doesn't matter if it's in the cloud or if it's on-prem. You know, you can set it up however you want. It's still going to run the same way. It's going to run the same way. So who owns Kubernetes? Who? What project is it? It's an open source project. It's an open source project that's actually pretty heavily, I would say Google. If anybody, I would just say Google owns it. <laughs> but it's open source. It, so, so my understanding of it is that um, Kubernetes was um, initially a project run inside Google. Google were doing containerization of their workloads for probably around about eight or nine years um, mm-hmm. before before Docker came along. And Kubernetes is the outgrowth of that project that they were using to manage kind of their their container workloads inside Google. Um, they signed that over to the Cloud Native Foundation, CNF, mm-hmm. I think it is. CNCF. Um, yeah, CNCF, Cloud Native Container Foundation. Like maybe? Computing Foundation, I want to say. Yeah. Computing Foundation, yeah. If it's wrong, uh, it'll be in the show notes. So, yeah. s- sorry, listeners. <laughs> um, 
but so yeah, so CNCF, um, which is a body inside the Linux Foundation. Yeah. So they actually own they own the project, but it's it's an open source thing. So Google Google have got kind of like the most votes, so to speak, inside how kind of but a lot of the Linux Foundation stuff is a is a meritocracy. So if you're the person that turns up with working code, you get to commit working code. Google has the project that have got the most experience with Kubernetes. If they want to drop some working code, they drop working code. But again, anyone can can contribute to Kubernetes as a project. Yep. You mentioned before that you were doing some stuff with with Kubernetes before you moved into this existing role. Was that was that using a cloud provider, or were you do, were you using that with um, something like Minikube or something like that at home, or was it something else? Yeah, I was using. Um, I started off using Minikube, um, and I was using. I had a couple online resources that I was learning about it from. So I was like going to like um, like I would go to like Linux Academy and. I would just kind of canoodle around, just kind of seeing what people were talking about, seeing how people were learning it. I would go to Pluralsight and just kind of play around with it, learn about it. And then I got Minikube. And then that's when I really started like, okay, like, let me write up a deployment YAML. Let me play with a pod. Let me actually understand how all this stuff works together. And that's kind of how I started bridging these concepts and understanding like, okay, this is what this Kubernetes thing is about. It took, I'm not gonna lie, learning Kubernetes is a monster. It's um, it's a running joke on Twitter, you know, about how hard it is to learn Kubernetes, um, and it, it's not far from the truth at all. Uh, Kubernetes is a lot because it's just such a paradigm shift in the way that we deploy and uh, maintain applications. Um, a huge paradigm shift. But once you get it, you get it. Now, um, I will say, like, once you want to start getting more into like custom resource definitions and extending Kubernetes and the API and all that kind of stuff, that's a whole other beast. But just initially learning Kubernetes can be a bit trying. It can be a bit trying. Once you figure it out, it, it makes sense. Because it just requires so much. Like, you have to know net, you have to know networking. You have to know networking well. Like, I would argue the biggest skill that you need to have going into learning Kubernetes is a, a great understanding of networking. Like, you need to understand networking to really understand what Kubernetes is trying to do. If you don't, you're going to get lost in the sauce real fast. So that's interesting. That's that's not something that I, I would have expected as being kind of such a large prerequisite with Docker. Uh, so with, with Kubernetes, rather. Because so much of kind of the, 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 the pitch of, say, Docker is about how it's just moving your your runtime away from sort of in uh, away from sort of having to have a whole hypervisor or something like that you know mm-hmm. you just you're just running new processes that are sort of namespaced off from everything else correct but kubernetes clearly is moving quite a long way beyond that then so what's why is there such a big difference is it is it because um you're now looking at how the service operates or is it is there is there other pieces there that I'm missing? Um, I think a lot of reason why Kubernetes is that way. I, I almost would I almost would call Kubernetes. Um, you know, it's like cloud native, like cloud native architecture, and like a a box. It's like you're. I can go to Kubernetes for anything. You know what I'm saying because Kubernetes is so extensible, and I think that's kind of why it can be so difficult because it used to be this thing where you kind of 
you kind of had people that had specialties, right? Like you had like a networking engineer, you had a, a ops guy, you had an infrastructure guy, you had your, you had your app guy. But now that we're moving to more of this DevOps friendly world, you kind of start seeing a lot of these roles starting to really melt, melt together, right? Because automation and tooling has allowed us to be able to take on more responsibility. Um, so even like as an SRE, one of the things that I would say is a, a very underrated skill or, um, you know, uh, some type of underrated experience that you need to have coming into an SRE role is security. Um, security is just something that a lot of people have not had to really worry about in previous roles. But when you go into cloud architecture and you're moving a lot faster, now security is like you think about it left, right, night and day. You know what I'm saying? You're thinking about everything because now all of a sudden – I have, let's say, you know, I have this application, I have this Docker image, and let's say I have three instances of this Docker image running on a Kubernetes cluster, and let's say it's spread out against three nodes, so maybe I have one instance per node. Well, each of those nodes have to have a port open, you know what I'm saying? Like, like so there's, the containers have to have ports open, the nodes have to have ports open, and then on top of that, as this data comes in, so let's say this data or this request is coming into a load balancer, and this load balancer is going to basically route this request to one of the nodes, one of the instances. Well, you know, I got to make sure it's SSL encrypted from the load balancer, you know what I'm saying, from the load balancer to the back end. It's not this thing where people are just SSL terminating at the load balancer no more. People are SSL terminating all the way to the actual pod, to the service. So now you have to have a new level of observability. You know what I'm saying? You have to have a new level of understanding of security. You have to have a new level of understanding of networking. And that's just not something a lot of people come in, come into, you know, cloud native architecture or cloud native applications with. Because if I've only had to do infrastructure and that's just what I did and I handed it off to the security team and that's just, and the security team took care of all of that. You don't live in that world anymore. You have to design your applications out the gate with security, performance, networking, all that stuff in mind in the beginning. Because if you don't, and you try to append security, append performance on at the end, then that's how you end up with this kind of Frankenstein of a thing. You know what I'm saying? You end up with this Frankenstein of an application. And that's not to say that you're not going to append things to your application. That's just kind of how it goes because business need business needs change. You know, depending on how things are doing, how things are selling, we might want to go in a different direction. So you're going to always kind of have to pin things on later on, but you want to try to do the best that you can do in the beginning to think about at least the basics of security and the basics of performance for your application. So coming from, as in like me, for me, I'm kind of a, more of a consultant firm that as you'd call your traditional um, cat or your traditional pets kind of thing. And I want to get into the kind of more the DevOps kind of thing. How do you find out about this whole SRO thing? Was it just something you would just learn about when you when you, when you learn about Kubernetes, or is it when, since you've been in your current job that you've kind of learned all this stuff? The, the the main way I actually found out about it was actually going to like conferences. Um, that truth be told, going to conferences has been like single-handedly the the greatest thing that I've been able to do in my career early, that I figured out early on in my career um, because. Me, I always want to make sure I stay one step ahead. Like, you you know, I think sometimes in technology, you get so caught up in the way your company does things that you completely forget that, hey, there are like millions of other companies that are doing the same thing maybe a, a million different ways. I'm saying maybe there's a better way of doing the way the thing that I'm doing. 
Um, and maybe I need to kind of stick my, my head outside the box a little bit to figure out, like, maybe there's a better option out here. Maybe there's better tooling out there. And going to those conferences really exposed me to just the other ways people were thinking about application and architecture and, and, and the cloud and stuff like that. And that's where I really learned about SREs and, and really kind of got a real understanding of what DevOps is. Because I think too often businesses kind of, because people don't really keep up with the culture of technology, what ends up happening is, is like you just hear about it, but you don't really seek to understand it. So you'll end up with like, let's say, oh, well, I hear everybody's doing SRE stuff or I hear everybody's doing DevOps stuff. Instead of you taking the time to really understand what that means, they'll maybe take a developer or they'll take a admin guy and say, okay, well, we're, you're a DevOps engineer now or hey, you're SRE now without really taking time to understand like, what does that even mean yeah. for us? What does that even mean for our company? How does that change the way we do things? Um, and that's, that's typically what you see. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's how I <laughs> I'm learned. Just, I'm, I'm just mentally kind of putting my hand up as you're saying, you know, you're now doing this. Yeah. Okay. That's me. Yep. That's, that's, that's why I ended up having to do. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You're picking up this rock. Yep. That, that's me. I'm, I'm one of those. Okay. No, I, I, I absolutely. <laughs> So, so you've mentioned conferences. Is there any any conferences that you you found particularly enlightening or particularly that gave you more growth than anything else? Absolutely. the 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 one conference that I say single handedly changed my perspective on what my career could be in technology is definitely the Velocity Conference um, that O'Reilly puts on. Um, that conference really, it just it was like opening up Pandora's box for technology. Um, and the reason why that was so pivotal for me is because since I'm in Houston, I'm in Texas, um, or more specifically Houston, um, you know, we're energy oil, kind of slow, we kind of got some medical stuff going on. Technology just isn't ingrained in the culture. You know what I'm saying? Technology is just not what we do. That's just not, I mean, Austin is a lot different, but in Houston or in a lot of other places, technology isn't at the forefront of industry. So when you get to go into an environment, you get to go into like a San Jose, you get to go to San Francisco, and technology is just not a thing that you do, it's a thing that you live. Now your perspective is going to change, you know what I'm saying? Because now I'm like, I'm of it, I'm in it, I'm, I'm dealing with it, it's not just a tool that I'm using to get a job done. It's like, no, this is this is what I do, this is what I live, these are the people that I'm around. That changes the way you look at your work, um, completely changes the way you look at your work. And being around that environment and being around those people that don't look at technology as just a hobby or just a thing that pays their bills, but as a thing like, this is what I do, this is my purpose, and, and this is how I add value into the world, it makes you just look at things differently. It makes you look at your responsibilities differently. Now I don't just want to fix the thing because I'm just fixing the things and that's just what I'm supposed to do. You're like, okay, let me be more innovative. Like, how can we solve this problem in a way that's unique? Or how can we solve this in a way that's going to save the company time in the future that they don't even see that they're saving, right? Because I think so often, especially when you're in an ops or admin role, what you end up doing is you end up just patching stuff. You patch it, you patch it. You just do enough to get by so you can go into the next task. And, you know, in SRE, in SRE talk, we call it toil. Um, they call it toil because you just, I'm just doing enough to get by so I can just kind of keep progressing. But a true cloud neighbor, like a SRE, I'm thinking, okay, how can I solve this problem forever? I, I don't want to keep having to come in and reset the configuration files every Friday. 
I don't have to keep coming in and, and, and having to manually set up the SSL certs every year or every two years. How can I automate that away? Like that changes the way you think because now I automate this away or I, I solve this problem in a, in a, in a unique way that's, scal that's scalable. Now I can take my energy and my time and focus on more pressing issues. Focus on how we can make the application better. How can we make it scale better? How can we make it run faster? Because that's what you really care about. I don't care about patching SSL service every year. I don't want to have to do that every year. I'd rather automate that away and let that and let somebody else, let something else handle that. Now I can focus on, okay, hey, you know, I see y'all just put out this deployment. I see, you know, hey, you know, latency dropped by a second. Why the latency drop by a second? Okay, cool. Let's look at the code. What kind of changes did y'all make? Maybe we can, you know, implement this function in a different way that's not as memory intensive. You know, now I can focus my pro my energy on actually solving problems, solving problems and, and making the application better in ways that actually benefit the business. That's, to me, the value of an SRE. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not just looking at it from the perspective of I just want to keep it up. Keeping it up is baseline. It's par for the course. Everybody keeps it up. How can we make it better? How can we put more energy into making this thing more resilient so that the business can move faster, the business can make more money, the business can scale more? That's that's what you really want to be, and that's what the cloud and, and cloud-native architecture allows you to do. That's why Google and all of these companies are so gung-ho about it because they're finally starting to see the value of this stuff. They're like... Oh dang! Like you know, I don't have to stay up till two o'clock in the morning to you know push out this update. I can automatically do it in the background and not worry about that. And I can have the monitoring take care of it. And if something goes wrong, then the monitoring is going to let me know. Alarm to trigger and let me know. Okay, we got to look at something. That's where you want to be. I don't want to be toiling day in and day out because that's how you get burned out. You didn't become you didn't you didn't get into technology. You didn't even become an admin. You didn't get into ops. You can do the same thing over and over again. You want to innovate. You want to be creative. You want to be able to take that, that, that creativity and that energy that we were talking about earlier and put that into the work that you're actually doing. Too right. Yeah, that definitely hits home with me. Yeah. <laughs> Being a corporate dog going, yeah, trying to fix, oh, trying to keep him with the corporate thing. Yeah, it definitely kind of hit home. I'm I'm looking at the clock a little bit, and I'm thinking we we're coming up to to sort of nearly an hour of recording time. Um, is there anything in particular that um you you think we've missed in asking you about or talking to you about something that you know you're particularly passionate about that we've not discussed or because we've we've kind of covered quite a lot in this, but you know anything that I'm particularly passionate about. Um, one thing I will say I'm passionate about is just getting more people into the cloud space more especially more people of color into the cloud space um you know one thing that I'm, I'm really huge on with you know my career in technology is always inviting perspectives into the fold i think sometimes in technology it's so funny i saw a tweet the other day and somebody talked about how um how nerds can be just as exclusive as you know any other group of people you know what i'm saying like we can we can kind of look at somebody and be like, well, you don't know, you don't know, you don't use Vim, so you're not a real developer. Or, you know, you don't use uh, VSTS, or you don't use whatever tools, so you're not really a programmer. You're not using C++ or C Sharp. Ah, pitch pot. Um, <laughs> I, I hate that. I, I really genuinely hate that. I hate that, that sometimes we can be so closed off and have this idea of technology that, if you only use certain types of technologies or if you only approach problems certain kinds of ways, 
that, you know, you're not bringing any more to the table um, than, you know, what people in the past have already done. And I feel like in order for technology to continue to grow and evolve, we have to continue to bring in more perspective and more diverse thought into the space. We can't continue to look at the problems the same way that we did 20 years ago. Um, and so I'm very passionate about bringing more people with diverse backgrounds into the cloud space, into the technology field, because I think the more perspective and the more ideas and the more diverse thought that we bring into the space, the more innovative our ideas are going to become. Um, I think, you know, we've been looking, we've kind of been, we've been looking at technology and computers and stuff in the, through the same lens almost 40 years now. Now it's time for us, in order for us to really evolve and move past, I mean, you got to think like with AI and machine learning and all of these new tools and products coming down the pipeline, like, you know, the bits and the, bits and the binary and all that kind of stuff is not going to be the emphasis anymore. You know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, it was important to learn how to do bubble sport, uh, a, a bubble sort algorithm, understanding and data structures and stuff like that. But, I mean, we're at a point now where a lot of those things are abstracted in a way, they're so abstracted in a way that not what we need to be putting our energy towards anymore. It doesn't make sense to. Um, and so when you bring in people that ask questions that don't have the same level of understanding and they don't have the same history and the same relationship with technology as people that have already been in the space for a very long time have, they come into it with a different perspective. They come into it with new questions. Well, why do we do things this way? Why have we done things this way? Why can't we use this tool? Why can't we do that? Why can't we do that? Versus being like, well, this is how it works and that's how we figured it out and that's just how it is. We're not going to change it. You know, like that, that's, that's something that I'm very passionate about. And because of that, like, that's why I've been here lately. I've been going on IG, on Instagram, and I've been posting videos trying to basically start literally from ground zero of what's it like to be in technology? How do you start your journey on getting into technology and just building people up, like teaching people what version control is, teaching people what Git is, teaching people how to network, teaching people how to do all of these different things in the space because I want to invite, I want to invite that thought. I want to create a bridge for people that, that didn't even think about technology and didn't even think that that could be a career for them. I want them to honestly say, well, maybe that could be something for me because if it wasn't, if it weren't for somebody creating that bridge for me, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to y'all about Kubernetes and all this kind of stuff and, sharing all these ideas with you, you know what I'm saying? Because I didn't, I don't have a degree in computer science, but because somebody was like, I just like the way you think. I like the way you talk about things. I, I like, you know, I just like your thought. I like just where you go with it. You thought about programming. Have you thought about being in technology? And no, nah, I haven't. And when they introduced that to me, now here I am bringing in all of these new thoughts and ideas and perspectives to the space. And it allows me to come to places like this and, discuss these things and even make you think about like, dang, I never thought of it like that. Or, Hey, like that's, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of what, you know, bringing in new thought to, to, to the space does. And, and if I can bring in more people that think that way, and now we're having more conversations like the ones we're having today, just imagine what the space is going to be like in the next 10 or 20 years. It's going to be in a place that we couldn't even imagine and I think that's the beauty. And that's one thing I'm definitely very, very passionate about is just bringing more diverse thought, uh, more creative minds, more people from different backgrounds into the space. And, and for me, if that means I have to go all the way to step one 
and teach people what version control is and what what does a computer even do and all that kind of stuff. If that's what I have to do, then that's what I'm going to do to make sure I'm creating that bridge for people to come into the space and not having people continue to think that it's just this huge wall and this huge mountain and I can never work in technology. It's too complex. It's not magic. Same people that, that created CPUs and memory put their pants on every day just like you do. Um, and I think that's and I think that's important to highlight. They just focus they just focus their energy on a problem and they solved it. And we we do that every day in life. So, you know, just creating that bridge for more people to come into the space and learn about technology and bringing that diverse thought and then bringing those ideas and continue to grow the industry and grow the culture in a way that you haven't seen before is something I'm really passionate about. So if you want to learn more about technology from like bare basics and just see how I'm interacting with people, please follow me on Instagram, cool black nerd. So uh, that's, that's one thing I'm, I definitely wanted to say. So. <laughs> no, that's a spot on. Spot yeah. on. That's exactly what I was hoping to yeah. hear. Thank you very we'll much. We'll put a link in the show notes for your Instagram, but no, I think we're going to keep you in touch. Cause I think, uh, yeah, I want to learn some more. So I'll be, I'll be contacting you. <laughs> So, I hope you don't mind. Can't I <laughs> No, please, man. I love it. I love when people reach out to me. I love it. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you very, very, very much for coming on and taking your time out to uh, come on our podcast. Oh, man. Thank y'all so much. Where else can we find you? Is there any, um, we'll put a link in the show notes to your Instagram. Anywhere else? Do you Twitter or anything you're on, or is it all the same? Yeah. Uh, follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Um, my handle is coolblacknerd, C O O L B L K N E R D. Yeah, and we got the podcast, Liz Nerds in the Room. Definitely check that out. Um, and if you have any questions or you want to learn more about Kubernetes or the container space and SREs and stuff like that, please reach out to me. I love it because it, it also helps me reinforce my understanding of what I do. So I, I love yeah. to be able to talk to people about it and, and have people question me on things because it, it, may, it just makes me better. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I've I found the same thing when when people. So I I give talks at um, conferences, and I found that when somebody asks a question, it always kind of makes you take a step back and think: Have I, you know, is this talk written to to bring as many people on board with this as possible? And if it isn't, it gives me a chance to rewrite that talk and 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 amend it to make sure that I've got as much much. I'm giving everyone in the room as much of a chance to get to where I am absolutely absolutely from whatever end of the spectrum. anyway thank you very very much reggie it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us here um i i absolutely look forward to hearing some more of your podcasts in the future uh, and uh, possibly talking to you again in the future about um you know more of the stuff that we, we've been talking to on this occasion so thank you very very much absolutely thank y'all so much i really appreciate y'all for bringing me in no worries at all so thank you once again to uh, Reggie from the Coolest Nerds in the Room podcast for uh, for coming on board and, and and helping us out with that. So thank you very much. And uh, I think that's coming. That's going to wrap us up for the end of this show. I think we'll uh, we'll just give a couple of mentions. Um, so Dave, uh, who's um, I'm hoping going to work absolute wonders with the uh, the audio in this podcast because frankly he always does work wonders with the audio in this podcast so thank you very very much to dave for all the work he's done for us uh, over the last year or so with this and and in particular with some of our more recent episodes i really want to say thank you to our patrons or patreons or something in particular i want to thank andamo yannick dave mike maha and andy who are all uh donating at least one dollar a month every month uh and uh really helping us out in fact um 
I have a, I have a new mic stand this month specifically because of, uh, because of wonderful people like you, uh, who help us out. And also, uh, um, Al's managed to, to renew all the domains and everything else like that. So, uh, so we keep on, we keep on ticking over. But yeah. Thank you very much. Also, let's say welcome to our new listeners. Um, welcome. Also, tell a friend about a podcast if you like us. Um, also, leave a feedback on Apple iTunes. And also, join our, join our telefra- te- Telegram group. Uh, links and everything are in adminadminpodcast.co.uk. Uh, also, we just had our 50th member join on the um, Telegram group. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice little community on there now. Um, I don't really contribute very much, but I do like to listen in the little conversation people have between themselves. Um, yeah, it's really, really good. So, um, and if you have any questions um, for us, just um, drop us a line and we're always happy to help. Absolutely. And in fact, I, what I will go on to say is that if you if you are a listener, uh, something that we've spoken about tonight has uh, triggered something of interest to you, or even if you've listened back to some of the old, our older episodes and you thought, oh, I wish they'd gone into more details about such and such a thing or something else, uh, and, and we haven't. Um, so please, please do uh, get in touch, ask us questions. We have got uh, one question uh, that we're sort of gearing up to, to maybe try to answer in a future session. Um, obviously, the, the, the session we recorded before this one, uh, it was about monitoring based off the back of something that was mentioned in, in, uh, in Telegram group. So, uh, please, if you, if there is something that we've talked about or, uh, will talk about in a future episode that has, uh, made you think of something, please do send a, send a, send the information into us, uh, by email. So you can email mail at adminadminpodcast.co.uk or as I said, join the Telegram channel and, uh, you know, we'll do what we can to, uh, to help you. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode and we'll be back with another one soon. So bye for now. Bye for now. Now it's over. I can open any door. Now it's over.